God is good all the time. Indeed, it is good to uh, now live in the great republic of Whataburger. It is good to be back at Southwestern Seminary, a, uh, an original attendance that wasn't really going to happen. Several years ago, after enrolling in the MDiv program, we got a call from our first foster care placement right after I had enrolled and I immediately got that call and exited the highway determined that I was going to turn around, come back and unenroll. But when I did, I called my mentor for a little bit of advice and he said, you're taking youth ministry, which is something you know, in evangelism. How hard could it be? He could not have been more wrong. If you've turned in just one paper to Dr. Queen, you know that to be true because the only thing Dr. Queen loves more than leading somebody to Jesus is baptizing a paper in red ink. And that is what I learned very quickly, but my mentor's words were enough to give it a shot, as he said. It didn't take long, though, to feel like I was drowning. It was hard to juggle life as a husband, as a father of three, full-time pastor, a student, but Dr. Queen didn't give up on me. Fast forward to the final exam. I'm walking into the classroom, and we had just gotten a call that our kids would be leaving that evening to go back with family, and tears are streaming down my face. We had an adoption date, everything. Our life was turned upside down. Dr. Queen asked what was wrong, and I shared with him, and he said, you need to leave right now, and you need to go and be with your wife. And I did, he prayed for us, and I don't remember everything he said, but I do remember his last words being, hey, it's gonna be okay, God's got this. I left, we packed up our kids' belongings, and then endured one of the hardest weekends of our life, but not without Dr. Queen. Every single day that weekend, Dr. Queen checked on us. Every single week after that weekend, Dr. Queen checked on us. I had checked out. I was determined to give up on seminary, but Queen believed in me and encouraged me to continue, but it doesn't end there. A couple of years after my graduation, somehow by the grace of God, I returned here to pursue a D-men. And Queen was my first class, my last class, my dissertation supervisor, and I grew to hate his red pen, like many before me and many who will come after me, but he knew I had one goal, and that was to finish before my dad passed. And so daddy would be able to see me graduate. Unfortunately, dad's health was deteriorating faster than I could write my dissertation and I was running out of steam. But Dr. Queen believed in me and kept encouraging me and would not allow me to quit. Early morning texts, late evening calls, endless enduring of my gripes over his nitpicking. But he carried me through the finish line and daddy got to see my graduation from his nursing home while he fiddled through my little uh, program. 12 days ago, I preached my daddy's funeral. It was the hardest thing of my life, but do you know who sent the very first text on that day? Dr. Queen. The text was like a warning shot of what was going to follow, friend after friend calling to check on me, texting to say they were encouraging me, they were praying for me, as I sought both to honor my dad, 
but also preaching the glorious gospel he had embraced. Guys like that, like Dr. Queen, guys who are in our corner and refuse to give up on us and relentlessly encourage us are priceless in ministry and in life. And I've had a few of them over the years. I've tried to be that for others over the years because ministry is awesome. It's a privilege, it is great, but it is also difficult, it is hard. And I would dare say you would never survive and thrive in ministry without a little help from your friends. Friends who will encourage you, friends who will challenge you, friends who are in your corner. Guys like Dr. Queen, who are guys like Barnabas. As you open your Bible, turn to Acts chapter 11 and make your way to verse 19. Our, our text this morning is going to be Acts 11 verses 19 through 25 and it is an honor to stand before you today and I'm thankful for the work God is doing in and through Dr. Greenway and this wonderful institution. But as we open God's word this morning, I hope to be a Barnabas to you and also encourage you to be a Barnabas to others as we look at Acts 11, 19 through 25. If you are able, stand with me as we read God's inerrant, infallible, and inspired word from Acts chapter 11, where we read this. Now those who had been scattered as a result of the persecution that started because of Stephen made their way as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the word to no one but the Jews. No one except Jews, sorry. But there were some of them, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks also, proclaiming the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. News about them reached the church in Jerusalem and they sent out Barnabas to travel as far as Antioch. And when he arrived and saw the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged all of them to remain true to the Lord with devoted hearts. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And large numbers of people were added to the Lord. Then he went to Tarsus, to search for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church, taught large numbers. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. This is the word of God. Let's pray as we study it together. God, you are good. Lord, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for the wonderful time of worship, by song that we have had, by prayer, by reading your word, now by studying your word. May you receive all of the honor and the glory to your name. Open our eyes, our ears, our hearts, to receive this message, not my message, but your word, that we would hear your word and respond to your word, your glory alone. Lord, help us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. We are given a few clues here in our text for the context in verses 19 and 20. Scattering all over like ants being coming out of an anthill, we have guys going all over to proclaim the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ as the story of Christianity's expansion continues. Right, they're spreading all over. And we see something similar in chapter 8 
where those who'd been scattered about were preaching the gospel wherever they went. Logically then, we might think that Acts 11 was the next step in the gospel expansion and wonder why the author didn't just follow Acts 8 with Acts 11 as the gospel makes its way along the Mediterranean coast. Well, Acts 10 sets the stage for the setting here in chapter 11. In Acts 10, we learn that it is not only possible, but also necessary for Gentiles to hear and receive the good news of Jesus Christ. They don't need to become Jews first to be welcomed into the church. Well, therefore, we see this shift begin to happen, speaking only to the Jews, to where we see here they're speaking also to the Greeks. The gospel is expanding. They're all proclaiming the gospel to anyone who will listen. And we see in verse 21, where we come to this text, that God was on the move. The Lord's hand was with them. We read that a large number who believed turned to the Lord, so much so that we get this note in verse 22 that the news made it all the way back to Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas to kind of check things out. That's the gist of the context here. Christianity is growing. The gospel is making its way to Jews and the Greeks alike. And Barnabas begins to make his way to Antioch. And that begs the question, who is Barnabas? We're first introduced to Barnabas in chapter four of Acts as the so-called son of encouragement who sold some land and gave the proceeds to the apostles. And he just keeps showing up. In Acts 9, the Jews are ready to kill Saul, but he is able to escape and make his way to Jerusalem, runs into the disciples who are quite naturally afraid of him, and in comes Barnabas again, and he steps in to tell them about Saul's conversion, and the rest is history. Barnabas shows up again at the end of chapter 11, at the beginning of chapter 12, and is instrumental in the discipling of John Mark in chapter 15. Time and time again, Barnabas is there at just the right time and in just the right way, a true son of encouragement. Take just five seconds online, and you'll notice we are not lacking sons of discouragement. Guys who use their keyboards and their platforms to tear down and rip apart are a dime a dozen. What we need today are sons or daughters of encouragement, guys or gals like Barnabas. In our text, Barnabas makes his way to Antioch and his response, I believe, gives us an encouraging pattern to follow in these discouraging times. And so as we study this text, we will see Barnabas was glad in the first part of verse 23. That he was encouraging in the second part of verse 23 and that he was faithful in verse 24. So look back at that first part of verse 23 as we see Barnabas' reaction as he arrives on the scene that I described just a moment ago. When he arrived and saw the grace of God, he was glad. He was glad. Simple enough and it would be easy for us and tempting for us to just pass over these words here, these first few words. Who wouldn't be glad to see the grace of God at work? Who wouldn't be thrilled to see the gospel at work? Well, Barnabas was a Jew. To be more precise, he was a Levite. And to see the gospel make its way to the Greeks as a good thing was not an automagical response at this point in time. 
Perhaps he was sent to investigate whether what was happening was to be applauded, was appropriate. But what we see here may not be what we would expect, but it's what we ought to emulate. These people receiving Jesus weren't like him. He was out of his comfort zone, but he's not begrudgingly okay with what's happening. He is glad. He is thrilled. He is rejoicing. Why? Because he sees the grace of God at work. It is work and working to save the lives of lost sinners, and he may not normally want to be around them, think he is like them, but instead of begrudgingly being okay with this, he is rejoicing in this, celebrating this. He is thrilled. And so I ask, when God blesses you, when God moves in and through and in spite maybe your, your sermons or your ministry at church and you see people getting saved, aren't you glad? You're excited, you're telling others about it. I've never met a pastor on this earth who said, man, what a terrible day, four people got saved. All right, that never happens. But what if God blesses? What if God does a mighty Work somewhere else, perhaps among someone that you may not really like or someone up the road from you? Do we have the same response? Perhaps on the surface we do, but deep down, isn't it tempting to kind of turn into Jonah and go pout in the corner? Of course. That's why we need to learn from Barnabas here in verse 23. He arrives to a scene that he may be predisposed to not really like, but instead, he rejoices, he's glad, he is thrilled, he's celebrating God as it works, so he is pumped. When God blesses that church up the road or moves in the ministry, that guy that kind of gets on your nerves, be like Barnabas here, be glad, rejoice. God is at work, rejoice. Not only that, as we look at the rest of verse 23, we need to encourage them and encourage it to continue. Look at the text. Not only was he glad, but he encouraged all of them to remain true to the Lord with devoted hearts. So not only did Barnabas arrive and see what is going on and celebrate what God is doing, that God is moving among people unlike him, but then we find that he is encouraging them. Not just those like him, not just those he liked, he encouraged, it says, all of them to remain true to the Lord with devoted hearts. And so Barnabas did what Barnabas was known for. He lived up to his moniker as the son of encouragement and encouraged these folks. Isn't that, to me, the natural byproduct of gladness, of rejoicing when God is at work? I remember when the last church that I served, Mayhill Baptist, was growing rapidly. We were a small church, and it was filled primarily with senior adults when I arrived, but not for long. God started moving in and through that little church, and a few dozen turned into nearly three times our town's population. And along the way, there was this man named Mitch. Mitch was a major Barnabas in our lives and in the life of the church. Mitch saw what God was doing, and he got on board. He was glad, he served, he encouraged. He did all of that with great rejoicing and encouragement. And one of the most encouraging things that Mitch ever said to me was also a little bit unnerving. 
I went verse by verse through books of the Bible and he informed me that he would always read the next passage to see. I wonder how he's gonna deal with that one. And it was a little scary because sometimes I was like, I have no idea how I'm going to deal with that one, but I know that I'm going to deal with that one and I would handle whatever came next. But it was encouraging to me. And I always look forward to it, but there was something about knowing there was this guy out there looking forward to and praying over me as I was preparing the next text that really kept me persevering in the study. I suspect Mitch then got better preaching from me because of that simple encouragement. We tend to get a lot more of what we celebrate. And y'all, I don't know a soul alive that is at risk of being over-encouraged. If you see God at work somewhere, anywhere, don't just be glad and rejoice, but tell them. Encourage them. Call up that pastor and lift them up. Pray for them. If you see a pastor that is winning, it seems like, and God is blessing and moving in his work, call up and and ask to learn from him, to just celebrate with him. If you see that pastor that is struggling, call up and take him out for a cup of coffee. We don't have anybody out there that's at risk of being over-encouraged. If anything, most of us are under-encouraged. Reach out, encourage, celebrate, because we've got our fair share of sons of discouragement, especially online. We don't need a single another one. We need some guys like Barnabas, guys who will rejoice over us, guys who will encourage us. Doing so, I believe, can only happen if we're also like Barnabas in one more respect. Look back at verse 24. For Barnabas, he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Large numbers of the people were added to the Lord. Barnabas was glad that God was at work. Barnabas was encouraging them to continue. Why? Verse 24, for we read, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. That's the why for Barnabas and the how for us. If we're not glad that God is moving, particularly among someone or somewhere we don't necessarily like, or if we're constantly discouraging our brothers and sisters in Christ, perhaps we are simply not full of the Spirit and of faith. You see, Barnabas wasn't called good because he was glad. Barnabas wasn't called good because he was encouraging. Barnabas was good and glad and encouraging because he was full of the Spirit, full of faith. These fruits of that in his life, gladness, rejoicing, encouragement, was all coming out of that, that he was full of the Spirit, full of faith. Out of that, the fruit of the Spirit in his life was this life marked by gladness and encouragement, so much so he had the nickname of son of encouragement. Because the spirit was working in him, he rejoiced when people he may not have particularly liked were getting saved. Because the spirit was working in him, he encouraged that to continue. And that's precisely what happened. We read at the end of verse 23, for in large numbers of people were added to the Lord. Barnabas would leave then, as we see in the text, to search for Saul, find him, bring him back. For an entire year, they would meet with this new church, and it grew by the day. Why? Because a man named Barnabas showed up, and he spurred it forward, which brings us to our so what this morning. Why this matters for us today. 
Culturally, no one would have thought twice if Barnabas, a Jew, a Levite, saw a bunch of Greeks getting saved and went home disgusted or went back and told them what was going on. We need to investigate this a little more. Nobody would have thought twice, but that's not what we see. Barnabas saw God at work. He rejoiced. He encouraged. And he helped it continue. We need more of that today, not less. It costs you nothing to be kind. It costs you nothing to encourage, only a few seconds to encourage somebody. And we need it. Pastors are weary as the pandemic drags on. Most of us are beyond tired at the mudslinging that comes, far too easy for some. And that reminds me of a great story from baseball, if you'll indulge me, because I'm missing it a little bit as we have the lockout. 40,000 fans were on hand in the Oakland Stadium when Ricky Henderson tied Lou Brock's career stolen brace record. According to the USA Today, Lou, who had left baseball in 1979, had followed Henderson's career and was excited about his success. Realizing that Ricky would set a new record, Brock said, I'll be there. Do you think I'm going to miss it now? Ricky did in 12 years what it took me 19. He is amazing. He's great. And so I ask, can you rejoice in the successes, in the blessings of others? What Lou Brock did in cheering on Ricky Henderson should be the norm among Christians, not the exception. Few circumstances give us a better opportunity to exhibit God's grace than rejoicing over someone else's win. As we prepare to close, I encourage you to think of somebody you know. Maybe they get on your nerves, they drive you a little crazy, one who is a little harder to love, maybe just someone that you know is struggling. Before this day is over, I encourage you to be a Barnabas for them. We have more than enough discouragement. Before the sun goes down today, look for somebody you can encourage and, well, encourage them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you with gratitude for salvation, for the seminary, for the, for the privilege that we have on a Thursday morning to, to open up your word, to sing your word, to study your word, to pray your word. Lord, we thank you for that. In mere moments, as many students go back and, and learn to apply that, that word and, and in different ministry contexts and classes all across this campus, Lord, we ask that you continue to bless their efforts Lord, right now, as I pray, I just pray that you will bring to mind people in our hearts and our circle of influence that could use a little encouragement. Or somebody, our pastor, our professor, a student, a friend, somebody that we could lift up. Maybe somebody that we see that you are just clearly at work in their life. Their church is, is growing and it seems like everything they touch your blessing, that we would celebrate that, rejoice over that, see how we can help them continue, learn from that. Or just help us to look for opportunities to lift up and not tear down. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.